You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome in to Crunch Time here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion. Houston Astros, Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Looking at the weekend that was, we are now down to four. As the Kansas City Chiefs, Philadelphia Eagles, Cincinnati Bengals, and San Francisco 49ers all move on to their respective conference championship games this coming weekend. Uh, We will break down each matchup throughout this past weekend here throughout today's show, as well as talking LSU basketball falling to Tennessee, LSU women's basketball looking to go to 20-0 tonight, and a whole lot more. I bring in my producer and co-host at this time, the one and only Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Monday. Sir, how are you? Doing good, Matt. How about you? I'm living. I'm absolutely fantastic, sir. <laughs> I almost almost went to the crutch, but I stopped myself. There you go. Improvement. Abs- absolutely fantastic. Love it. So, Friday, if I would have told you that the Eagles would have absolutely dismantled the New York Giants, and that Buffalo and that the Buffalo Bills with Demar Hamlin and his family in the stadium would come out flat as a board. Would you believe me? Uh, I could I could believe the Giants part because even though I talked about they could have been, they kind of felt like they had the vibes of 2011 Giants, there were still a lot of holes with that team that they really need to get fixed, including the receiving core where I thought Isaiah Hodgins, he had a good shot. Like he was somebody that was kind of blossoming. Maybe he could be somebody that really could step up for the Giants in the future. Um, but guess what? He had one catch for three yards in the game. Yep. So I didn't I didn't necessarily think it would be a thirty five or a thirty one point blowout. I believe like a twenty two, twenty three point difference, but that extra touchdown, it was like, okay, this is just an extra right. get it in there. Um Bills, I mean, they had turnover issues throughout the year. Brett Favre or sorry, uh new age Brett Favre, Josh Allen yeah. turn turns it over a little too much. Uh, got that gunslinger mentality, but I I didn't see them only putting up ten. Like it they was just, like if if they were gonna come out flat, I could have saw them only putting up seventeen points with the Bengals putting up twenty seven, maybe thirty. You know, like mm-hmm. it 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 would be a closer to single digits than it was where it was a seventeen point game. Yep. I thought it could have been a ten point game. They just looked out of sync all quarter, all, all game. Like they they never seemed to be on the same page. And, you know, you, you talked about Josh Allen and, and his turnover problems. He's, he's, he's had a pretty big issue down the backstretch of this season with, with committing too many turnovers. But just the communication with his receivers. Like, you, you look at the stats. Stephon Diggs. Ten was, targets, only four catches. Like, this was, this was, pro, this was like the worst game that we have seen from Stefan Diggs since his Viking days. Your leading receiver was Dawson Knox. 
Now look, not knocking Dawson Knox, I think he's a great tight end. But if he's your leading receiver, you did not play well. At all. And I mean, Joe Burrow, what what more what more can you say about that guy? I mean, you look at it. That dude's too cool. You look at it. That's his that is now his fifth playoff win as a Cincinnati Bengal, which is already a franchise record. Um but you look at the previous four, and Joe played what you would call complimentary football. He depended on the defense, made a play when he needed to, but Joe didn't really win you the game. He however, won you this game. However, he won yesterday. Joe Burrow won that game for you. I don't. I, I don't think this is necessarily a hot take because... Joe was already one of the best quarterbacks in this league, but after what I saw yesterday, I am very comfortable and I am very much in the favor of officially saying that Joe Burrow is the second best quarterback in this league. And you could even make an argument that he has the potential of being better than Mahomes. Yeah, he he's definitely the second best for sure. I, I put it up there because before we were saying... It was Mahomes and Allen. It was Mahomes and Allen the whole time. Rodgers within that space, but I, I think it is. I think it's a two-man race. If you're doing like a tier list, I'm saying the creme de la creme. It's Mahomes and it's Burrow. Then you got that next tier. You got a couple others. You still got Lamar Jackson in that space. You got. I think Aaron Rodgers is still there. You got Jalen Hurts. He's elevated his play there. You got Josh Allen. Herbert's there as well. Mm-hmm. You know players that it's like they have the ability to win you a Super Bowl. It's just they could use a little more help than, say, a Joe Burrow or a Patrick Mahomes. I would even stretch it a a step further. I I think I would put Tua up there as well. I I, I can't put Tua up there necessarily. Um, He he, he definitely looked a lot better than I anticipated, but here's, here's my biggest concern. He he takes care of the ball well. He don't get me wrong. He takes Tua takes care of the ball well. I worry about those injuries starting to creep up with all those head injuries, all well, those concussions. Plus, people people are starting to try and deny it, but I still worry about that arm strength. Every time I see a deep ball, it's it's floating up there, and I'm worrying. Okay, well, if it's not Tyreek or Jalen Waddle getting that, how likely is it that's going to be an interception? And then the whole perception of Tua changes. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you have great receivers, and that's how a lot of these quarterbacks are. I mean, Josh Allen, he has Stephon Diggs. Gabe Davis has really stepped up for him. Joe Burrow has a has a triple threat out wide. But I'm just looking. It's like if we took away their weapons, like, and and they all kind of were on the same level. It's like where would Tua stay? That's fair. When it comes to all these other quarterbacks, that's very that's a that's a very fair point. yeah, you know, the arm, the arm strength is an issue with me with Tua, but the way I saw him play this year pre-head injuries, if if you could get that back in, in 2023, that same level of Tua, I would be prepared to put him in, in that second tier. Because here's the thing. Before the season, I had him in, like, you know, that fourth tier. Because it's like Joe and Mahomes are in the first tier. Second tier is all the other guys, you know, Rodgers, mm-hmm. Jackson, Herbert. Allen, I, I put Tua in that fourth tier, but now I have him in that middle because you have the 
tier sheet with you. Mm-hmm. I have two in the middle of the of the third tier. Yeah, with which Trevor to me Lawrence, is, Dak, Kirk Cousins, Jared and, that, Goff. and that's a and that's a very big one because that is that's kind of that middle ground. Mm-hmm. That's the guys that could take you to the playoffs. You may be able to win a game. You you have a better chance of winning a, a game, but you're not going to go super far in the playoffs with them. So let me ask you this: You have Deshaun Watson in the C tier. Yes. Say 2023. But I I put him toward the back end because we, he hadn't played for a year, and when you watched him this year, didn't look very well, but to me that was just him getting the rust off. Say 2023, he comes out, the rust is gone, mm-hmm. he is pre-suspension Deshaun Watson. Oh, he's... Which tier is he in? Oh, he's going all the way to B. He's going to that second tier. Because before before that year off... And all of this happened with he him. He was a top five QB. I, I had him even higher than a top five. I had him as a number two. I had I had him as a top two. Hmm. He was very much in that MVP candidate season. The way he carried that team, it was just the rest of that Houston Texans team was so piss poor. That's why they kept losing. Yeah, it, they, were, it they was, were really bad. The only reason they were ever in games was because of Deshaun Watson. Your poll question of the day is of the four teams remaining in the NFL playoffs, which one is the best? The Niners, the Eagles, the Cow, uh, the Bengals, or the Chiefs. Now, one thing that that is interesting to note, James, we, we hadn't brought it up yet, but with the Chiefs game beating the Jags twenty-seven to twenty, the storyline of that game is the injury to Patrick Mahomes, who had his ankle rolled on by Arden Key, and he he left the game for a short period with a with a high ankle sprain, came back out in the second half. A lot of, you know, you heard the the story from the commentators was it was a lot of, you know, adrenaline and things of that nature that really carried him through the rest of that game. So the question becomes, a week later, a high ankle sprain is not a short-term injury. No, it's something that's going to definitely hinder Mahomes' play. Where's Mahomes at? Percentage-wise, in your opinion, at his best on Sunday, he will be what? Seventy percent? I was I was thinking 65, 70 if we're if we're being optimistic. Because I mean, he's not going to be able to be as mobile as he is. No, and and here's the thing with Mahomes, he won't be able to shuffle around the pocket or roll out like he's able to to buy more time for receivers. But here's the thing, he's so good at those I don't need my feet to be on the ground type of throws. He makes those jump passes. You even saw the third one to Valdez Scantling. That was a jump pass. Yeah. And it was it was still a high point to where only Marquez Valdez Scantling could catch the ball in the back of the end zone. Like he, even though it won't be as good, he's still going to be able to make plays and there's and the Chiefs still have in my eyes a good chance of winning this game. But man, if you're the if you're the Bengals, don't you just take guys like Trey Hendrickson and, and, and Sam, Sam Hubbard, Hubbard and you tell him, and just blitz him? Go. Just a uh, just close, collapse that pocket and make him panic? Because, again, if he's not going to be able to be mobile, he's only going to have so many limited options once the pocket collapses. Because usually you would worry and maybe throw out a spy for a mobile QB, but with his mobility think, being hindered, you'll need to. you don't need a spy. You can just send a guy, just go at him. Mm-hmm. Have it be a one-on-one with every matchup and have your other six guys cover the Thanks. other five that are that are going out to try and catch the ball that uh, i mean don't get me wrong I, I love kansas city i love patrick mahomes but that but injury that, that changes everything to, to, to me that that puts the Bengals as the favorite in the title game it just does if the Bengals play close to the way they played 
yesterday in Buffalo, I, I think they become the the favorite for that AFC Championship game. And to go back to the Super Bowl, I just that that injury is going to change everything in that AFC title game. So in today's show, Corey Diaz will join us at the top of hour number two. We will preview LSU women's basketball as they prepare to put their 19-0 streak on the line at Alabama in a 6 o'clock tip pregame set for 5.30 right here on the game. We will also hear from Matt McMahon following their 21-point loss to Tennessee, and we'll hear from the winning coaches of the four NFL teams that remain in the 2022 playoffs. We'll do that next. Hear from the four coaches of the winning teams next right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game is throwing you something far better than some cheap plastic beads this Mardi Gras. That's right. You could score a $500 Visa gift card. Just download the game mobile app, open the app, and click on the Mardi Gras Moolah tab and you're on your way to winning that $500 Visa gift card. It's the game's Mardi Gras moolah sweepstakes. Download the app, win money. It's that simple, and it's all from the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Looking back at the NFL weekend once again, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles both were victorious Saturday evening. First off, the Chiefs and the Jags, 27-20. Again, the storyline, Patrick Mahomes suffering a high ankle sprain. Where will he be on on Sunday against Cincinnati? Following the win, Andy Reid met with the media and said it was hard to take Patrick Mahomes off the field. Well, it was hard getting him out of the game, first of all. Uh, He wanted to fight, and so um, we got him out. Went to the X-ray, got got it X-rayed, looked at, taped. Uh, he came back and he said he felt good enough to be protected. You know, where where he's not going to uh, get hurt. Uh, that's obviously the primary thing. Um, and he felt like his mobility was good enough where he could do that. So um, we did a few little things with him on the sideline to see where he was at. Put him in, and it was a short leash. Uh, so if I felt like he was wasn't able to handle it, he would have been out and back in Henny. So He's not wrong. No. Because if if you watch that broadcast at all, after that injury, they showed like him getting Arden Key landing mm-hmm. on his ankle and then just showed over and over again him being frustrated and throwing his jacket on the ground because he wanted to get in the he, – he's oh, not he wrong was, when he wanted to fight. He, he, he was aggravated that he was stuck on the sideline. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that just goes to show you the, the type of player Patrick Mahomes is. He doesn't care what condition his body's in. He's going to play. Do you do you remember... I don't know where this is from, but you ever seen that video? I know it's it was from an old high school game. Um, quarterback, I think he he messed up his leg or something. So he's like, he's barely hobbling. He's barely able to move. So obviously he's not going to be really mobile in the pocket right. at all. 
and he makes a deep shot late in the game, completes it like 40 yards, and, and the offensive ca- lineman carried him. Ca- yeah. Car- yeah. yeah. Like that, that's basically well, what that's happened. Like, that's like Stafford's rookie season. Oh yeah, when he when he gets Except, hit by the Browns player, he, he dislocated his shoulder. Yep, and call the timeout the drive. Yep, so he could come back in because it was late hit on the quarterback, so it put it like first and goal, right. like the five. Throws the game winning touchdown, and he throws the game winning touchdown, and he's like, ah, uh, right. please it's, help, it, my, my arm's dangling. <laughs> please, <laughs> please put it back. <laughs> oh, please man. locate it back to where it's supposed to be. Andy Reid also said following the win that everyone contributed. Yeah. You know, everybody contributed. Uh, Marquez, I mean, we had all the, we had a few plays for Marquez, and they, they did a good job rolling the coverage that direction, and, and he didn't hang his head. He just kept battling and battling and battling, and, and it ends up with a big touchdown for us. Um, but you could say that about Juju. Juju went through the game, comes up with a huge catch on the sideline there, and Pat had a tremendous amount of trust in him uh, to throw the back shoulder throw. It, it's so impressive how, you know, this past offseason, when, when Tyreek Hill signed the contract with the Dolphins, the first question that was asked were was, what would the Chiefs look like? Yeah, because it was like, that is a huge contributor to your offense. So it's like, where is that going to be made up? They really haven't missed a beat. Now, granted, you, you've done it kind of by committee with Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster and, and a couple others. But their offense still was dominant all season long. And and to me, that's what makes the Chiefs offense, in my eyes, in 2022, even better than previous years because it's like, no, it wouldn't be a guarantee you putting a man-on-man with Tyreek Hill and then having one guy over the top on that side every time trying to follow, kind of like having a bracket coverage or just having help over the top. Right. Um, but with these receivers now, none of them, no one's an alpha necessarily, but everybody is kind of on that same level where they're like, they're pretty good. They're not dominant. They're not amazing. They don't lead the top in their position at all, but you can't take your attention off of any of them. Marquez Valdez Scantling, you could blink and all of a sudden, boom, it's a 70 yard touchdown. Juju Smith-Schuster, you forget to kind of cover him, he could burn you for multiple catches on the same drive and and lead you to a touchdown. Same thing with Michael Hardman. He, even though he hasn't been used a lot, he started to become that guy in his third season to where he's been more developed of receiver. So it's like you, right. you just you can't solely put your attention on two or three guys like you kind of would with other offenses. It's like, it, it, it's such a weird position for other defenses because any one of them could pop off at any time because we've seen it in previous years. Absolutely, I mean, it, but you can't. But you can't double them. We're we're not that far removed from the conversation of is Juju Smith Schuster a better wide receiver than Antonio Brown? Correct. Like we're not. We're, that wasn't that long ago. That was only a couple seasons ago where we thought Juju Smith Schuster was a top fifteen receiver. Yep. It, it's it's insane the the receiving room that the Chiefs continue to just add on to, and even when somebody leaves, they just find somebody because they're they're always able to like Isaiah Pacheco. Mm-hmm. They were able they're able to pick up guys and that guy's different. One, and like let's be honest, one one of these guys is going to leave, whether it's like Scantling or Miko Hardman soon or Juju, because they all are on short term deals. 
One of these guys is going to leave, so you know what that leaves room for? Sky Moore to finally have mm-hmm. an opportunity to shine because we ha- we heard a lot of good things during the offseason. People were looking to draft Sky Moore in fantasy, and a lot of people did, but it just didn't work out that right. season, so I'm feeling like next year. I think you, That's something to look out for if you see one or two guys leave the Chiefs. I think you keep Juju. I think you probably hold on to me, Cole Hardman, as your, as your long ball guy. And then Sky Moore's there is kind of just your slot playmaker. But, I mean, that could be a dangerous receiving core if you're, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. But moving on to the Eagles and Giants' Nick Sirianni following their 38-7 to victory. Talked about his quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who had three first-half touchdowns and how he helps the offense go. Yeah, um, Jalen always is going to help the running game big time because of what he can do and the threat that he poses back on the backside. Um, even if he's not carrying it, right? Even if he's not having runs to him and thanks, Bob, and everything like that, he, he's still going to affect the game. Um, you know, and that and that's what he did, right? He affected the game because he demands attention on the backside and. Right, not to only not that, but he he runs the show out there, right? He's like a point guard, right? And so he's getting us to good checks. You know, we have we have checks on. That's a hard. De- that's a good defense. That's that they they pose a lot of problems. Wink Martindale is a great coordinator. He's a great coordinator. His guys play hard for him. Brian Dable is a great head coach. His guys play hard for him, and and they pose a lot of issues. And so the quarterbacks got to go in there and help um, with those when teams pose issues like that. Nick Sirianni, you know, came into Philadelphia just a couple of years ago, and James, he's already done a miraculous job in in the development of their young talent, including Jalen Hurts. You bring in a guy like AJ Brown, you develop Devonte Smith into a clear number two. In, in some people's eyes, he could be a number one somewhere. It, it's just impressive to see the difference that a, that a good coach can make for an organization yeah the the offense and defensive line was already very established for the Eagles and Devontae Smith he wasn't a Heisman by mistake no he he's a baller I don't care that he is skinnier than most I don't I don't care that his size isn't optimal for a receiver nowadays but they brought him in the 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 offense already had looked good in 2020, we had seen it. Jalen Hurts just still needed to develop as a quarterback. He did, but then they also went out of their way to go get a number one receiver anyway okay. in A.J. Brown. So it, just the fact that the front office was willing to put all their chips in front of them and put them on the table to be like, hey, look, we've already got a good team. Let's make it even better. And they were still able to finagle and still get Nice draft capital for the future as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, and and you know that that what I what I mean by you know it, it's it's crazy what a good coach can do. That's no knock on Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson obviously did a lot of good in Philadelphia. He won a Super Bowl, but you know shortly after that Super Bowl, things kind of started to deteriorate. It, it fizzled very quickly for Peterson. Yeah, and I mean, and now you see what he's doing in Jacksonville in just year one. Made it to a divisional round game. Only lost by seven, you know, great start to his time in Jacksonville. But the culture changed when Nick Sirianni got there. And he brought in what what they've referred to as a dog mentality. So, you know, after the game, Nick Sirianni talked about 
that dog mentality and what it means for this franchise now? What dog mentality means, Sal, is is that you enjoy it for a second, but you learn from it, right? You learn from the mistakes that you make. You learn from the things that you did well, and you move in in the past, right? And so that's that's the whole thing. Like, even when we're up 28 nothing, it's, hey, we're starting again, and it's like it's 0-0. So, of course, we're excited tonight, but we know we have so much bigger goals. And the, and the only next goal is whoever we play next is wanting to win that game and then and then go from there. So our focus won't change. Our focus is, hey, we're climbing this mountain. We're, we're close. We're close to the top. Don't look at the top yet, though. Look at the steps that you have to make this week. And that's been the message the entire year. Our guys, um, they, they say the same thing. Rent's due today. I mean, there's different ways of saying um, dog mentality. But it is, it is truly, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna enjoy this one. We'll take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk college basketball from the Tigers to the Cajuns to the Cowboys here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the corner. Your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. So apparently, Alabama fans are asking for a Eagles-Bengals Super Bowl because they want revenge on LSU for 2019. What? Devontae Smith, sure. Jalen Hurts wasn't even on that Bama team in 2019. He played for Oklahoma. What? I guess it's just because he was with Alabama originally. Bama fans are wild. Wild people. 337-706-0111 is the number to call for the game hotline. If you break down the weekend that was in college basketball, we'll start with the LSU men's basketball team falling to Tennessee 77-56 behind a season-high 22 points from Josiah Jordan-James. This was a game that LSU never really had control of. Uh, They did lead one time, 20 seconds into the contest. Um, And Tennessee from there just kind of said, okay, you know, we're going to have some fun now, and you're just going to have to sit back and watch. Tennessee shooting... 45% from the field, 38% from behind the three-point line. Uh, Again, they went on some runs early in the first half to take a 17-point lead into the break. LSU came out, played played better in the second half to make it a, a closer defeat. But in the end, Tennessee was just far and away the, the better basketball team in this game in a day where... They wore special throwback uniforms, the Tigers did, to honor the 1979 team. Members of that team were there, uh, as long as as well as Coach Dale Brown. But again, the, the ball movement that Tennessee was able to, to do, the shots that they were knocking down, everything, the defense they were... LSU just looked rattled all game long, settling for, for corner threes that weren't falling and... and rarely looking 
to take the ball inside and ju- just seemed out of sorts. But following the defeat, Matt McMahon spoke with the media and he gave his immediate thoughts on, on the loss to Tennessee. Thanks, Ken. I'll be brief. Uh, credit to Tennessee. Uh, there's a reason they're one of the top five teams in the country. Uh, I, I think uh, from our standpoint, uh, to have an opportunity in a game like this, have to find some way uh, to eliminate a lot of mistakes. Uh, it's really, you, know, you don't see numbers like that often where you turn it over and it leads to so many points. And when you're playing a top five team, they make you pay for every mistake, every single mistake. And that's what they did today, uh, both with points off turnovers, uh, you miss a switch, you miss a coverage on a flare screen, they make you pay every time. So credit to them. they got a terrific team. And uh, for us, obviously being tested, being tested, uh, we'll find out what we're about as we start preparation for the next opportunity on Tuesday. Talking about points off turnovers, Tennessee was able to get 33 of their points off of LSU turnovers on Saturday afternoon. Just just an absolute killer down the stretch. Uh, Matt McMahon continued. Uh, this is now their, their sixth consecutive loss in SEC play. And he said when you look at the big picture of that six-game losing streak, the mindset of the team is they're currently devastated. Well, I, I think you have... A, a team that is devastated right now, not, not from today, but just the, the last couple weeks and the totality of, of where we're at right now. And unfortunately, this is part of the process uh, that we signed up for. And, you know, so I think you have to try to find some positives, uh, as difficult as that is. Obviously, everyone wants to win, um, but we have to figure out a way uh, to take some positives uh, from practices, from games, and, and try to build our program. You know, this, I, I knew this was not going to be an easy task. Uh, when we signed up for it, uh, we got to continue to work and fight to try and build not only our team, but the foundation of the program uh, so that we can continue to improve. Matt McMahon continued that same thought, like like he just mentioned, He's here to build a program, and we they knew that it wouldn't be an easy task. It would be a lack of communication, uh, I think. You know, and, they, and they run great offense. Uh, again, what you're hoping to build is a program. When you start over from scratch, you're hoping to build something, and it doesn't happen overnight. And so you look back to year one and year two of where they were at as opposed to where they're at now, uh, you see that there is a system and style of play uh, that they continue to get better and better in with their off-ball screening, uh, their passing, their cutting. That's why they're one of the top assist rate teams in the country. Um, but we missed multiple switches on, on James, who's a tough matchup when they go to their four-guard uh, package. excuse me. And then in one of their, uh, they do a great job with their flare screens uh, late in the possession. And... Like I said, once you relax and, and you you fail to do your job, they make you pay. And they hit us on three flare screens for, for wing threes uh, that, that really hurt us. Flipping over to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns now. Eight games into Sunbelt play. Six of them were on the road. 
And I remember at, at the beginning of, of conference play, we had Jay Walker on this program, and he's, he, I, I remember him saying this, and he reminded me of it earlier today. He said, Matt, what did I tell you? He said, if this team goes 6-2 and two in those first eight, they're going to be in good shape. Started off 0-2, but now they've ripped off six consecutive wins to be 16-4 and four and tied for first in the Sun Belt. With those last four games all being on the road. All four being on the road. A road sweep. First time that that has happened in Sun Belt play for the Cajuns. Really, really impressive. And so now you, you get the luxury of... Playing, you played so many road games on the front end, now you get to play a lot of home games on the back end. They have 10 games remaining on the schedule. Seven of them will be in the confines of the Cajun Dome. And they are looking for their first undefeated home stretch in school history. No Cajuns team has ever gone undefeated in the Cajun Dome. This team hasn't lost in the Cajun Dome yet. So... Very intrigued to see what they do there on the week. They took down Arkansas State 80-71 to and then beat Texas State 60-51. to Jordan Brown getting 31-13 and against Arkansas State before bouncing back on Saturday with a solid performance as well. Greg Williams leading the way on Saturday with 22. Jordan Brown coming in with 19-9 and to back him up for Again, their sixth consecutive conference win, putting them at 16 and four, six and two in the Sun Belt. Texas State falling to 10 and 11, three and five in the Sun Belt. This week, the Cajuns will host Troy on Thursday and Georgia Southern on Saturday in what is Suits versus Sneakers Week for the American Cancer Society. All coaches will wear suits on the sidelines as as well as their favorite pair of sneakers. Uh, and Bob Marlin announced today during his press conference that he will be pledging $100 for every Cajuns three-pointer to the American Cancer Society. It's going to be a big night at the Cajun Dome Thursday night. So if you have no plans, come catch some good basketball. I mean, 16 and 4. Should be a good crowd. The Cajun Chicken's going to be in the Cajun Dome next weekend. They have great ticket deals for that game as well. Uh, so plenty to be excited about with Bob Marlin's team. And then you look at McNeese who had another rough stretch over in Thibodeau, falling to Nichols in both games, 73-64 to and then 71-68 to on Saturday. Saturday was a much closer game. They fell behind early, made it a game late, but just could not quite finish the job, shooting 48% from the field. You, you've seen progress when, when you look at this, this Nichols team. They're still struggling to fully piece it all together. But you went to Thibodeau Thursday, you fell, you come back to Lake Charles on Saturday, and you played a much better game, but again, just could not finish the job. And, and that kind of seems to be the underlying message with this team sitting at 5-15 and 15 so far on the year. Yeah, I look at this McNeese squad and you know, played back-to-back games against the Colonels. They the women were able to get wins both times. Correct. But with this one but with McNeese men's team, they were all they went 0 2 against Nichols over the last few days. However, I I think if you got one more win, 
I mean, if you got one more game out of this, they would actually win because if you look at the scoring, initially they had lost by nine. What didn't look too great. It was it was a little close, but then with this last game, instead of losing by nine, you only lost by three. Only gave up a you you gave up a few less points, scored a few more yourself. Nope. So it was like I think it's like if, if we ran it back one more time, McNeese would be able to get it done. But overall, realistically looking at the season, it's it is not gone very well. Well, then and then the key to that first game, if you look at it, it was at the, at the first media break. McNeese was down twenty-one to two. Yeah. So I mean, they were playing catch up all game long, and, and they came back, made it a one-point game at one point, and just just could not quite put it away. Um, and then you know you look at the cowgirls, like you mentioned, winning both games against Nichols, seventy-seven to sixty-eight, and then seventy to sixty-two. Louisiana also winning both of their games on the weekend, sixty-one to fifty-one over Old Dominion, and forty-nine to forty-eight in overtime against Arkansas State on. Saturday, and of course LSU, nineteen and zero, getting that win over Arkansas the other night. They traveled to Tuscaloosa over the weekend, and they will play the Crimson Tide this afternoon, six o'clock tip, pregame at five thirty. And like we mentioned earlier, you can hear it right here on the game. We'll take a timeout when we return. James Mesh is going to tell you about one of the oddest plays maybe we've ever seen. Stick it right here. You're listening to Crunch Time. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Now that you scored an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can use it to listen to the game Southwest Louisiana sports station. Just ask Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana, and it's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Thanks for sticking with us. Through that commercial timeout, you're real funny. <laughs> you're real funny. Oh, I want. You know what I want to talk about, Matt? I want to look at probably one of the most perplexing, confusing play calls I might have ever seen in my lifetime. You, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. The, the last play of the game from the last game on Sunday for the divisional round of the playoffs. Con- confusing is a nice way to put it. Because we, we've seen some interesting play calls in the past, but I think this one takes the cake. We can look at last year with the Dak sneak, the Dak QB run himself with no timeouts. Um, then you can also look at the fake punt by the Colts. That was that's That's been a little, a little while now. That's back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Versus the Patriots, that one. Those two, those two were really perplexing plays. You can even look at last week. A lot of people really criticized Kevin O'Connell uh, with the play call where Kurt Cousins kind of just has to dump it off to TJ Hawkinson mm-hmm. on four, fourth and eight and only picks up four yards. But this one, this play, the final play of 49ers-Cowboys 2023, you put all your offensive linemen, 
with the receivers near the sideline. So it's just Dak in the center. But, oh, it's it's not just a regular center. It's not just their regular center. It's Ezekiel Elliott under center. And and my my, my question is, is this. So, obviously, Zeke is not a small dude. No, he's not a... He's not a little five eight Devin Singletary or but, Clyde Edwards Alaire. But he's only six foot. He's, and he's two thirty. Correct. Severely undersized. So if you put a if you put a nose tackle on him or an edge rusher. He's he's demolishing him. Correct. Because he's he's having to get up and fall backwards. Correct. So with him already having the size disadvantage, I don't understand how this helps. Wouldn't you want one of your cause Putting him at center makes him an ineligible receiver. Correct. So it's not like he's he's not somebody that could catch the ball. Like if you wanted to maybe do something like some backyard football where you don't have to worry about ineligible receivers, you throw it behind right, to like to Tony everybody. to like CD Lamb, and then they're so worried about that. Oh, there goes Zeke on a straight line, and you just throw it to him, and hopefully he makes a miss. But it's like he doesn't necessarily have the explosion that he used to in the past. But you also didn't have Tony Pollard. Nor nor can you throw it to your center. Correct. But that's what I'm saying. If it if we treated it like right. it was backyard football, then it'd be a genius play where he could just run straight forward and you throw it to him because everybody's so worried about the throw right there to CD or whoever. I, I now feel bad for giving Mike McCarthy as much praise as I've given him in the past. Because that, that's two years in a row where you see a bad play call. Now, here's the thing. I didn't think... The thing that really gets to me was the Zeke under center. I didn't mind all the offensive leaving because you had six seconds, no timeouts. You quickly throw it to CD or whoever's on that side of the field, and you throw it to the shorter half. I don't remember if it was in the middle if they were on a hash. But you throwing it there and you having a barrage of, of guys blocking for you, you can take the five seconds off but pick up 15 yards, be it, be it the 40. And then you just have Dak throw it up for a Hail Mary. You just have a Hail Mary, right. But what I didn't understand was I, I was I was also fine with you throwing a hitch to Turpin. I could understand that because we've seen that in the past where you quickly throw it to him and then you almost kind of do a hook and ladder kind of play. And then you just start doing the tossing because you're too far for a Hail right. Mary. So it's like, why not? But they just sniffed it out so fast that as soon as Turpin caught the ball, he had no shot of being able to toss it back. It, it was a very so it was just it was there was a lot going on and it was all the wrong things going on. It was a very head scratching play call. And then you know I talked about Mike McCarthy, but then Kellen Moore in the same sentiment. Like there was it was a couple weeks ago where I, I wanted that guy to be interviewed for a Saints head coaching position. And and now, do do I want that guy as my head coach after that play call? Now I'm not going to judge a coach off of one play call, but like, does ooh. that mean we're going to see Alvin Kamara under center? What are, you, what are you doing? Like what? What clicked in your head where you looked at that draw up and said, you know what? This could work. This has a chance. No, because because here's the thing. Here's the thing with the fake bump, because if we're just taking it both at face value, I'm probably putting the Colts fake punt 
ahead of this yeah of this play but it it gets magnified because it was the final play where you're desperate in a playoff game this wasn't just a regular game in late october early november where it's like there are some playoff implications maybe down the line but this is also in the second quarter third quarter when you're Right, starting to get blown out by the this, Patriots. This so, was the final play of the game. This was this was for the game to try and keep yourself alive. Yeah, it 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 made zero zero sense. I'm like, did you really run out of plays? Now, if you would have lined <laughs> up, if you would have lined up Zeke at the tight end spot, maybe I would have said you were innovative. Even if it didn't work, maybe I would have said you were innovative. Maybe run like a little jumbo ish package where he lines up as like a second tight end. He's he's their version of Taysom Hill, kind of. I then, guess. Then I would have called you innovative, lining him up as the center, having him snap the football. That's just stupidity. You you literally take one of your eligible receivers and you're like, let's make him ineligible. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like what? Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We're gonna kick it off with Corey Diaz previewing LSU and Alabama right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3, and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In hour number one, we recapped the four NFL divisional round games from the weekend. We also recapped college basketball from the weekend in the state, and we touched on the craziness that that is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, In hour number two here, only 30 minutes due to the LSU women's basketball game pregame tipping off at 5.30. We're going to start hour number two by chatting with our guy Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser. He covers LSU women's basketball. Looking to go 20-0. and so far on the season. Corey, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? Matt, what's going on, buddy? Thanks for having me. So let, let's start with just, you know, kind of looking on paper at this team so far. You know, we've talked about it before, Corey. 19-0 and now, winning seven games in the SEC, and, and all of them, except for one, pretty handedly. You know, just kind of talk about the the season so far and how this team's looking better and better as the games go on, and a, a pretty tough test with Alabama tonight. Yeah, I think um, you know, again, when when you're coming into a season uh, like Kim Mulkey and her staff were, uh, where you're you're having to replace eighty percent of your offensive production uh, from the season before. You've got nine new players, uh, you know, four of those being transfers, five incoming um, high school freshmen. How are you going to get all of these young ladies to cohesively play together, you know, gel, find that right chemistry? How long is it going to take 
Um, you know, I would say, you know, sitting here 19 and 0 a couple of months after the season has started, I think certainly Kim would take that, but she wouldn't have predicted a start like this. Uh, you know, longest win streak in, in program history, best start. Um, you know, since uh, you know Simone Augustus was was roaming the floor uh, inside the PMAC. I mean, it, there's a lot of uh, historical things happening for this women's basketball program right now in Baton Rouge. And um, it, it certainly, again, it wasn't something that a lot of people expected. But, you know, you have to credit the way the staff, um, you know, really put a lot of these players, you know, in, in positions that allow them to thrive and, and suit their game the best. You know, I, I look at I look at freshman Flage Johnson. You know, obviously Angel gets a lot of the headlines. But there's a couple of wins that LSU has on this schedule right now that they don't have if Flage Johnson is not in a position, you know, kind of playing that that two slash three position um, where you know if she's not there, they don't win these games. You know, like their last time out against Arkansas, you know, they won by three. Uh, Flage hit four critical free throws in the last 16 seconds of that game to give LSU the win. But she also crashed the boards during that game. She got six rebounds that game, and, and most of those came in the second half in, in big moments that stopped, you know, Arkansas runs. Uh, you know, it's players like that. It's it's the identification that Kim and her staff had early on during, uh, you know, off-season conditioning and preseason practice. They they identified the right places to put these players. You know, Alexis Moore, senior point guard. You know, she's another example of this. You know, last year. Uh, she was a scorer, you know. Uh, she was she was counted on to to give to give the team a dozen points a night. That's not her role this year, you know. She's she's more of a facilitator this year, and and uh, she is really thriving that role and has been able to to help the team, um, you know, with a with a mindset of you know I'm going to be pass first, and then I could be a second or third option to score any possession. And uh, she's really been uh, thriving in that position as well. So. It's all about coaches identifying the right spots to put these players, and it's also the players' buy-in and the acceptance of roles. And I think that's you know, look, that that's led to 19 straight wins, possibly a 20th straight to open the season tonight. Um, and it's got this team in position to where, you know, they could be seen as a potential challenger uh, in the SEC. You know, talking about Alexis Morris going from a scorer to a facilitator. You, you see it happen pretty often where, where players kind of take on that facilitator role. And what ends up happening, Corey, is when they have opportunities to score, they get in their head saying, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be a facilitator, and they pass up scoring opportunities. Have you seen that with Alexis Morris so far this year? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's been instances um, where, you know, Alexis was maybe, a, a, a you know, just slightly two passes. Um, you know, I, but I think that's, Look, I mean, I it's like you said, Matt. I mean, I you know, I think most players, you know, when when they're asked to kind of be more of a, you know, let, let's let's just get the ball in, in some other players' hands first, um, and if the ball finds finds it to you, you know, late in the shot clock, then maybe let's try to get you, you know, in the paint or something and try to score. Uh, I, I think there's been instances where she's she's turned down some open looks, um, you know, and try to get other players involved. Um, but you know, I, I, that's all part of the process. I mean, this is her, you know, this is her fifth year. You know, playing in college, you know, she was with Kim at Baylor, you know, before, uh, you know, Kim got the job at LSU before last season and, and Alexis transferred over with her. Um, so she's been in Kim's system a long time. I think she's kind of seen some some of the previous point guards in Kim's system and kind of how they've handled these types of roles. Um, and I think she's, she's tried to kind of emulate that as best she could. Um, but I think, too, you know, she's, 
I think she's finding a really good balance. You know, I think she's finding a good balance between facilitating and also, you know, um, when she's open and has a good look, you know, not being shy, you know, taking that shot. And, um, you know, she did some really good things, um, you know, against, um, you know, against Missouri. Um, you know, I think uh, she had some, she displayed a lot of really good court vision, uh, but also, you know, took shots. She scored 24 points that night, you know, and that's, you know, season high for her at this point. And, um, you know, that obviously that's, you know, still kind of let everyone know that she still has the, the capability to score in bunches when, when she needs to, when the team needs her to. And I think that's kind of where she is right now. Looking at Angel Reese, obviously, you know, like you said, she dominates the headlines so far this season, tying Sylvia Fowles' double-double streak, looking to break it tonight against the Tide. When she came into Baton Rouge, she was the top impact transfer uh, in, in women's college basketball. But, but Corey, did did anyone expect her to to right away do what she's done? Hmm, that's a good question, Matt. I mean, I would say, look, man, I you know I'm not in the business of, of necessarily selling myself here or tooting my own horn. But I, I, look, I, I knew because I, I saw her against South Carolina with Maryland last year um, in Colonial Life Arena. You know, she's, you know, a, a, a redshirt freshman at that time, but getting significant playing time for the first time in her career. And she drops 20 points and, and uh, you know, I believe it was 12 rebounds, if I'm remembering correctly, um, against South Carolina last year, you know, again, as a, as a freshman. You know, I think it was, I think it was maybe the fifth or sixth game that season. Um, she comes down on the road and she has a game like that against the Aaliyah Boston and the Victoria Saxons and, and, you know, Dawn on the sideline, you know. So uh, I knew that um, she was going to be a, a culture changer. She was going to be a, uh, a significant piece for Kim and this team this year. Now, again, I couldn't look, I couldn't predict, you know, 19 straight double doubles, obviously, to start her LSU career, but. I knew she was going to be. Um, I knew she was going to be one of the top five, top ten players in the, in the entire country. And I think I, I saw that last year, and I, and I knew that. You know, Kim Kim specializes in her position. You know, and that was one of the reasons why she wanted to test the waters in the transfer portal and find a place that was going to uh, elevate her game. And um, you know, when Kim and, and LSU reached out, she knew that that was going to be the place for her. Um, and shameless plug here. I'll, I'll have a feature dropping on Angel Reese later this week, so everyone be on the lookout for that at theadvertiser.com. But, you know, I've spent some time talking with some people close to her over the years, and her mentality and, and what she brings um, each, every time she steps between the lines onto the court. I mean, what you see is, is, um, is what has been ingrained in her from a very early age. And, um, you know, she's only just gotten better. And I would even say from game one to game 19 uh, at her at LSU, I think she's gotten much better from game one to, to game 19. And so, um, yeah, man, she's she's really stepped into this leadership role for this team. And I think that's also helped kind of her game, too, because now she can no longer, um, you know, expect the best from her. She's expecting the best from everyone else around her. And I think that's kind of helped shape and uh, improve her game, too. Chat with Corey Diaz here on Crunch Time. Looking at the game tonight on the road at Alabama, and then they get a week off before they host Tennessee next Monday. What are your thoughts on tonight's matchup? And then the the second part of this question is, will the week off be a good thing or a bad thing? 
Yeah, that's a that's a good choice. So to answer your second part, I personally think just from kind of especially seeing that game the other night um, against Arkansas, I think this team is ready for a little bit of a break in the in the rigorous schedule. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kim says tonight after the Alabama game, um, you know, that she's going to give the ladies a you know a day of rest or something. I just think that we we've reached kind of that point in the year where you know the the rigors of the schedule. And everything that's demanded of them, right? It's 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 taxing, man, and it's physically exhausting. And and I think they're ready for you know a week in between games here. So I think, especially in, when you play, when you're welcoming Tennessee after that break, uh, yeah, you're you're gonna you're gonna be welcoming a little bit of a breather between you know the game before and, and Tennessee, because Tennessee arguably is playing the best basketball in the league right now. Um, with Rakia Jackson and what she's been able to do the last, really since league play started three weeks ago. But tonight specifically, they're going to have to defend the three-point line. Um, you know, and they got a, a good test against Arkansas this weekend. Arkansas shoots the three ball really well. They're, they're always going to shoot the ball from behind the arc 25, sometimes 30 times a game. Alabama is going to do the same. Uh, they live and die out there. Um, and they've got two of the best three-point shooters in the league. Uh, I think Hannah Barber uh, leads the league um, and, and made field goal three-point field goal percentage. I believe it's it's almost forty-eight percent. How many how many she makes? So that it's a remarkable clip. They're going to have to defend there. Um, and if they don't, if they have, they had some defensive lapses, you know, defending the three late in the game against Arkansas, which allowed them to not only you know erase that early deficit, but eventually take the lead there. Um, so they can't have as many defensive lapses uh, guarding the three as they did um, against Arkansas tonight. So um, that's going to be the biggest key. And obviously, offensively, look, you got to get the you got to get Angel the ball. Alabama's not going to be able to match uh, Angel Reese inside. Um, you know, they're going to have to. You know, Christy Curry's going to have to decide. You know, are we going to double triple team Angel or are we going to, you know, try to slow down some of the others and and see if Angel just has an off night. Um, you know, so that's kind of the tough question that a lot of these opposing coaches have, have to ask themselves when they're game planning for, for Cam and LSU this year is, you know, how do you defend all these weapons? And so um, it's going to start defensively tonight for LSU. If they can, if they can keep Alabama below 30% shooting from three tonight, they'll, they'll stand a great chance of, of opening the year 20 and 0. Corey Diaz of the daily advertiser covers LSU women's basketball joining us here on the game hotline. Corey, appreciate you as always. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, and hopefully we can talk later this week or next week about a, a 20-0 LSU women's basketball team. My man, appreciate you. Sounds good. Y'all take care. And there he goes, Corey Diaz of the Daily Advertiser. We'll take a timeout here on Crunch Time when we return. You'll hear from the winning coaches from Sunday's NFL games. And we will give our own preview of LSU versus Alabama, which you can hear right here on the game. Keep it here. We'll be back after this timeout. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you need help taking your lady out for Valentine's Day, the help you need can be found inside the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, score $150 to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort, a $50 gift card to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville, $40 to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. 
Score these great prizes to help with Valentine's Day by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. James Mesh. Who doesn't want to be Joe Cool? Who doesn't love Joe Shiesty? I wish I was him every day. <laughs> just that that guy is just so damn cool. Like if there was a swagometer and it maxed out at 10, it's it, for him it's easily at a 15. He's so good. It's not fair. He's so good. The the NFL posted that video of, of him warming up and he does the little slow-mo spin. Obviously the camera made it slow-mo, but t- like if I tried it's to not, do that, you look even, so goofy. Even with a slow, like I would look so dumb. But Joe Burrow, it's not just, it's just like, effortless, smooth, just pinpoint. Keep it moving. I, I mean, to say I have a man crush on Joe Burrow right now, it's probably a little bit of an understatement. I mean, I'm just gonna keep it real here. Um, the 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 guy's next level. I need to go buy a Joe Burrow jersey like yesterday. It's not fair. And and you know what I think about every day in my dynasty league? That you should have drafted him? I, I, okay, so I, don't, I, I still don't regret picking Jamar Chase at 101. But I traded my second and third round pick. Oh, buddy. To get to the 105. Oh, buddy. To take Jay Jettis. No. No? I, that's, that's another one. Who'd I, you take with 105? <laughs> Kyle Pitts. He's, he, there's still potential there, but I had the opportunity. I had the opportunity to either get Joe Burrow because Joe went at 106, and Justin Jefferson went at 107. You see, I, I feel like a dynasty league. You address quarterback a lot earlier than you. No, do you. In a normal no, you definitely. You definitely should because if you look at how it went, it went like quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Um, oh, but no, I don't. I don't value. Quarterbacks you, as much you should have, especially done, in, in and it's a super flex league, so there you have the opportunity to start two quarterbacks. You should have done Burrow. You should have done Chase Burrow, and then figured everything else out. I know. I God. and I think about it, I'm like I I could have had it, but <laughs> I could have had the answer. Oh, buddy! Speaking of the Bengals, winning 27 to 10 yesterday over the Buffalo Bills, following the victory, Zach Taylor met with the media and he put it plain and simply: this team is built for this. We're built for this. You know, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about us. Uh, we don't care who's favored, who's not. Um, we're built for this, and and uh, we're excited to go on the road to Kansas City. Funny, hey. funny how we thought that maybe Zach Taylor wasn't the answer, and maybe Joe Burrow didn't want him as his coach. Oh, I've always loved Zach Taylor. He's Joe has shut that down, and obviously Zach Taylor has done it, done that as well with his coaching and having this team always be ready. I don't know if he said it enough. But they're built for this. I th- I think that I just I, I just want to make sure that was clear. Call me crazy, but I think that the Cincinnati's Bengals are built for that. And and so I, I might be crazy, but to further elaborate on that, why are they built for those moments? 
just these moments, our, our whole team, you just look at the leadership at every position. Um, you know, we talked about last night, they were 13-1 and one at home in the playoffs. The best home winning percentage uh, in NFL history. Uh -huh. And I wanted to show that to the team because I knew what that would do to them. I wouldn't put fear in them that, oh my God, we're walking into an environment that people don't win in. It was going to be the opposite for our guys. I love, I love how they're just bumping music in the back. Yeah, right. You could barely hear Coach Taylor because, I mean, Joe Shiesty's probably in there teaching his guys how to do the spin move. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's impeccable. It, it really is. Um, the Bengals now will play Patrick uh, injured, injured Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in a rematch of last year's AFC title game. However, this one's going to be in Kansas City instead of in Cincinnati like it was last year. Or no, it was in Kansas City last year, wasn't it? Never mind. I'm I'm crazy. Uh, but no, you know, you look at the Bengals and last year when they played, the gripe with their, with their offense was their offensive line is weak. So they went out this offseason and they upgraded it. You bring in Lyle Collins. You make a couple other moves. You kind of beef it up a little bit. And for the first half of the season, it really didn't look like it did anything because the Bengals were struggling. But then they flipped a switch, thanks to the Saints, became this world beater that everybody thought that the Bengals would be this year. But then Leo Collins goes down. And then in the last week of the regular season and in the first round of the playoffs, you also lose Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa. So now you're down three starting offensive linemen. And so you sat there and said, well, the Bengals, it was a nice run. You worry, you worry about it because you thought, you thought the Bills, even though they don't have Von Miller, you could still generate some pressure. Nah, didn't matter. And then, and then on the other side, man, the Niners. The Niners and Cowboys. Game made me nervous a little bit. I don't know why I was scared about the Cowboys because they're trash. <laughs> but I, as a as a closet Niners fan, because I love Elijah Mitchell, I was a little worried about this game. But I I really shouldn't have been. In, in Kyle Shanahan, we trust, right? I mean, that guy, he he just has it figured out. Uh, following the win, he had, he was asked, "How is the team feeling following this huge win?" feel great. I mean, we had a feeling it was going to be like that. We kind of prepared that way. Um, we had a lot of respect for that team, um, all, all three of their phases, but um, um, we knew how good their defense was too. And we felt we really had to run the ball just to negate their pass rush because how special of a pass rush they have. And um, for us to end up getting over 30 carries when you're only averaging like three, I think we had three, five, um, just shows how good the team was doing. Um, the defense getting those turnovers, um, the offense being able to make some third downs. I don't think in the first half we had one first down running the ball. I think they were all throwing the ball, and I think that changed big in the second half. So we still got it going a little bit, warmed down a little bit, and um, winning the turnover battle battles everything after that. At this point left in the playoffs, we've got four teams. Mm -hmm. Kansas City, Philly, mm -hmm. Cincy, mm -hmm. San Fran. Mm -hmm. At this point. Which one's the best? Which one's the best? Because that's, that's been our poll question of the day. Since 6 a.m., you still got time to go vote on that. Till 6 a.m. tomorrow. Correct. So far, the results, though, 10% is going to San Fran, 9.5 is going Boo. to the Chiefs. Philly's at 
And then the final 56%. Of course. On Sensi. Of course. It's, oh, man. And, and look, I don't disagree with that. I think the Bengals are the best team. Who's on, who's on a stretch of momentum right now, though? Even as poor as their offense looked yesterday, I would still say the Niners. Well, here's the thing. Last time the Bengals lost was Halloween. Take that into consideration. Wow. Has it been that long? Mm-hmm. Yes. That was the last time they lost to the Browns on Halloween. That is that is remarkable. That's actually really impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's going to be a Bengals-Niners Super Bowl, uh, which will be a, a fantastic contest. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm good either way. Um, but the, the Bengals are definitely riding a, a huge wave after the way they took down the Bills yesterday in Buffalo. LSU women's basketball getting ready to take on Alabama. James, who wins? And does Angel Reese break Sylvia Fowles' double-double record? I'll say yes. There has been no indication. I, I know it's going to be a tough matchup against the Crimson Tide tonight, but I just got that feeling LSU's able to go 20-0 and tonight. I think they are as well. Uh, Angel Reese breaks the record. You get a big night from Alexis Morris as well. And then the Tigers take a, a, a good week off, sitting at 20-0, and 0, probably number three in the country. And uh, l- looking forward to, to Tennessee inside the PMAC next Monday night right here on the game. For Corey Diaz, thanks to Corey Diaz for joining us. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. And we will see you tomorrow right here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Let's throw it over to Coleman Coliseum in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Here's the voice of the LSU Lady Tigers and Mr. Patrick Wright right here on The Game.